0: What it up? with it up? This is SK Winter Yacht, straight out of New York City, Washington Heights, Uptown. Stand up. Step Off Magazine Productions, up here. We're doing it East Coast to West Coast. <laughs>
1: Alright, Internets, welcome to another episode of Step Off Radio. We are joined today by an incredible guest coming from the way of New York City. Today on the show, Internets, we have the one and only SK Winter Yacht on the program. Yo, what's up, brother? Welcome to the show.
0: What's up, bro? Um, uh, Thank you for having me, bro.
1: Yeah, man, of course. It's a pleasure. You know, it's been a long time coming, you know, this interview. But, you know, we're finally here via the (laughs) way of zoom on these crazy internets but you know but thanks man you know so thank you for taking the time to sit down and talk with us for all the listeners out there that may not be familiar with your body of work you know introduce yourself and let our listeners uh, know exactly who you are and what is it that you do
0: my name is as y'all know my by now S.K. Winter yacht i'm a hip-hop artist out of new york city occasionally i dabble into some freelance writing on the side um so yeah that's who i am
1: no doubt man so let's start from the very beginning. Tell us a little bit about your early years. You were born in New York City, uh, Washington Heights to be specific. Did you grow up in a musical or artistic household? You know, like what kind of music did you listen to growing up and what was being played in your home when you were like a child?
0: Um, so I wasn't born into like a musical family in the sense of like people playing instruments or anything, but there was a lot of music being played in the house, usually uh, my parent, both my parents, uh, and then my sister. So I got influences from all around, I have an older sister, she's like 10 years older than me. Um, so I grew up in the, I was born in the 80s, late 80s. I like to say, uh, like Rakim, I made my debut in 86. <laughs> um, so uh, I grew up in hip hop, basically. Uh, but as far as like what my parents were playing, um, it was every, like everything. Uh, from like Juan Gabriel um, Damn I had a list Of a whole, whole bunch of people um, There was some dude Called Leo Don uh, From back in the days So just to kind of Give you like Like better Just be more specific My parents were born In like the 40s So my parents are Definitely like On the older side So they They grew up in that era Like the 50s And 60s Like rock and roll And stuff like that um, And then they came here In the 70s So they definitely Was into like The whole salsa movement so like that whole Fania all stars um, all those people like Hector Lavoe Ruben Blades, um people like that uh, Willy Colón, Tito Puentes stuff like that was being played around the house um, and of course I'm from Guatemala so we got a little marimbas here and there mm-hmm. um, people like just the legendary icons that we listen to like in Latin America like Celia Cruz Vicente Fernandez stuff like that and then um from my sister's side it was you know more the new school like latin american artists like selena gloria Stefan, and then we got like a little menudo ricky martin uh jerry rivera uh the barrio boys if y'all remember that from back in the days um, but then she would mix in like the more american stuff like madonna janet michael prince Jets, New Kids on the Block, and then she was the one that kind of like put me on to like hip-hop, so I'll be like three years old playing with my toys, but I'm listening to like KRS-One, mm. South Bronx, the South Bronx, <laughs> uh, the bridge is over, so I'm like, so that, that's how I got introduced to music, so like in terms of people playing instruments and something like that, it wasn't that, but there was always a lot of music playing. And my father was a street vendor at one point, and he was basically selling, like, bootleg tapes and, like, mixed mixed tape cassettes. Um, Even as recent as maybe, like, six months ago, he was still, like, making custom orders for, like, people that wanted their vinyl records onto, like, CD. Oh, wow. So, uh, yeah, basically, music kind of, like, put food in my stomach, kept the roof over my head for a long time.
1: No, man, you know, you have like all these different influences coming from, uh, you know, your parents and your sister, you know, and not just musically, but also, you know, that work ethic as well. And that kind of leads me into my next question. You know, like you said, you know, your parents are immigrants originally from Guatemala and your family relocated in the 1970s after being a victim of the Bronx fires. Paint a picture of what it was like growing up in a working class um, home with immigrant parents, you know, how did those perceptions, you know, inform your own worldview and make you the person that you are today?
0: I think it was just a continuation of, like, a legacy that a lot of us live with is uh, survival and learning how to survive and never giving up, never having that, you know, that thing of just, like, laying down and dying, you know, we just kind of persevere through everything. Um, it's crazy when you kind of, like, think about, like, what our parents went through, because uh, if I, if we were to tell one another or to tell our parents, like, yo, we just moved into a foreign country and we going to go start a family over there. You know, that's like a crazy concept, especially if you're not financially stable. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's exactly what our parents did. You know what I'm saying? Um, especially if, like, you're first, gen- uh, first generation. They came to a foreign land or rather, you know, I guess if you want to do, if you want to get real about it. It's not necessarily foreign, because we was always migrating up and down before colonization.
2: Absolutely. Um,
0: but it was definitely like a foreign system. And, you know, they came here not knowing the language and not knowing the rules or the laws, the new laws of the land. And um, they made, made a living out of it. You know what I'm saying? They did what they had to do to get out of here. Uh, my mom, she worked, my, both my parents, they told me they worked in factories. And those first couple of years, they had to like basically be dodging immigration. Basically, what a, a lot of our brothers and sisters today are doing and dealing with, just in a crazier, crazier world with uh, mass surveillance. Uh, fortunately, like my parents didn't have to deal with that. This was like the '70s, and uh, yeah, they were working in factories. They did what they had to do, and they made it work. You know what I'm saying? They uh, they moved to the Bronx in the beginning, they met here like a few days after my sister was born. um, It was a victim of the Bronx fire, so I don't know if people are familiar with that outside of New York. It's basically like slumlords were burning down buildings for like insurance money. Um, And then they ended up moving to Washington Heights, which is uptown Manhattan, um, which is maybe like 15 minutes away depending on where you're located in uptown Manhattan. 15 minutes away over like a bridge. Um, my aunt used to live out here and, you know, they made a living in this neighborhood, uh, which at the time was like a few Greeks, a few Irish, eventually became mostly Dominican. And uh, yeah, it just, I guess in the way it shaped my view is just like, you know, persevering, never giving up and uh, continuing to, to do what you do, you know, uh, just surviving.
1: Yeah, man, absolutely. You know, I think it's like um, it's an incredible story, you know, like so many of our of our stories, there's parallels. I feel like, you know, like these stories of immigration and, you know, how our families come to this country in various ways. And like the 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 things that had to happen, you know, for like our families to be, whether it's people meeting or like we our families immigrate to certain cities or locations. Whether that's because of family that's already there, or work opportunities, or whatever, you know, it all just depends on like the time yeah. and the circumstances. You know, um, if you don't mind, man, you know, go a little bit into your in, into your background. You know, like you said, your, your family's from Guatemala, but you're a, a, a Mayan ancestry.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. So um, as far as like I know, like so, like my father doesn't know his father. Like he didn't know his father, um, and his mom died when he was like maybe six years old, so he was an orphan in Guatemala, he was, um, he grew up in this place called Puerto Larios, um, which is closer to the Caribbean, um, so there was a lot, a large, like, Garifuna community there, um, and i believe there's also a large, um, Gekchi, uh, community, which is an indigenous Maya community, uh, Garifuna is more like Caribbean influence, kind of like Jamaica, uh, Cuba, um, and, and those uh, islands out there, um, so it's more West Indian, um, so there's a lot of mixing of like culture, so there's a little bit more Caribbean influence on my side of the family, um, which I guess helped growing up in New York, because mm. there's a large Caribbean community out here with Dominicans, Puerto Ricans, Cubans, Jamaicans, a uh, lot, lot of West Indians. So he grew up basically uh, an orphan, so he doesn't really know much about like his side of the family in terms of like the indigenous side. But just kinda judging from like where he said like his mom, which is my grandmother, came from, it seems like it might be either like Shinka, which is not necessarily Maya, they're kinda their own thing mm-hmm. in Guatemala. Uh, but they are an, an indigenous uh, to the land, and so I think I might be mixed with that, but definitely, um, and I think Kichet, uh, but definitely, um, my, my mom, she told me that my grandfather did speak an indigenous language, um, and he used to speak it as, along with Spanish, um, but he was, uh, killed early in her life. was probably like maybe 10 12 years old something like that
2: Mm
0: -hmm. um but he was the only one that i knew definitely was part of like indigenous lineage in Guatemala. so he was definitely like uh maya um so that's where i know my lineage comes from and then my mom's name last name maiden her maiden name which my grandfather's name is yat and that's why i adopted it to um my stage name just kind of wanted to like honor him and that that lineage um and as far as like what I was able to find out there was a ruler back in the days who went by the name of Balam Yat and I know Balam stands for like jaguar um in, across many of the Maya indigenous languages um and I found that it translates funny enough to Jaguar penis, uh, which would make sense with uh, my type of humor, um, which is, <laughs> so I don't know if that was like something to be like taken as a joke or like if it was something that was something to be like revered with like, uh, you know, being able to procreate or something like that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but it was definitely, uh, it was cool to see like, you know, oh shit, like my last, but well, like at least my father's last my grandfather's
1: last name was uh you know related to that, yeah, absolutely thank you for sharing a little bit of your familial history like a lot of times, like when um we have guests on the show, as you kind of like express yourself, sometimes there's a little bit of difficulty you know, kind of tracing down lineages because family members have either passed or um you know records in other nations can be spotty, so sometimes it could be kind of hard, you know to like get down to specifics but thank you thank you for sharing that with us brother you know i really appreciate that going into your own history a little bit you know i want to kind of take a dive you know so like as you said before you grew up in washington heights paint a picture of that time period coming of age in the late 90s in this giuliani bloomberg era new york you know what was it like growing up in your neighborhood and in what ways did washington heights and new york city as a whole you know mold and um you know shape the sound as well as the content of your music
0: um damn <laughs> uh new york in late 90s um uh, i think it was fun personally <laughs> <laughs> um i don't know the 90s were, were a great era in new york it was it was kind of special for me i feel like it was like the last of the artistic um decades in, in new york um like, I work in Greenwich Village right now, and back in the days, the first time I went down to that area, it was a, a very artistic neighborhood, like, I don't know if people are familiar with it, but, like, people like Lenny Bruce, like, comedians like Lenny Bruce and George Carlin, they used to be down there a lot. Um, they're, the comedy cellar is down there, it still is, um, so there was, like, a lot of famous comedians um, down there, like... George Carlin, Dick Gregory, um, so on and so forth, like Chappelle, Chris Rock, all that. Um, Jimi Hendrix uh, recorded down there at this studio called Electric Lady. I believe that's the name of the studio, which is still down there. Um, A lot of the the Soulquarians, they recorded in there. Quest Love is always constantly recording in there. recorded down there you know what I'm saying this is like a very vibrant place um in terms of like uh creativity um Washington Heights it's always been known it was funny like um when I like the early two thousands, when I was like in high school, these T-shirts started com- coming out um, that said um, that was like the parental advisory sticker, and it said Washington Heights, home of the haze So that's basically what the Heights was like known for, um, which is why like I don't know if people are familiar with the movie, but they're definitely familiar with uh, Hamilton, uh, uh, the creator Lin Manuel Miranda. He's from allegedly from Washington Heights. Um, i say allegedly because I've never heard anybody that knew him growing up here. He he lives here now. Um, uh, But yeah, he's from from, like the Heights. And he painted the picture in the movie In the Heights. And it was a safe picture and it was really well done. But there was like an aspect, I guess the negative aspects of of the neighborhood that, you know, he didn't display, um, which... Definitely centered around the whole uh, drug trade and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so there definitely was that. They were like, growing up, I remember there was like raids in my building um, going on. So every now and then I'd just be chilling in the crib. And all you hear is like this loud dumping sounds, like, boom, boom, walls shaking. And, you know, it's like police opened up. It's getting raided either directly in the apartment next to me or like somewhere upstairs. Um, so there was like, there was like memories like that happening. Um, there wasn't much violence, I will say, um, because like this neighborhood was mostly predominantly Dominican, um, of like Latino, like everybody else, because mm-hmm. we all speak the same language, but I'm still like an outsider, like, cause I'm Guatemalan and, you know, they're Dominican. Um, so it was like. Growing up with like a different culture, and so you you kind of you kind of lose that. You know, I, I was kind of like on an island out here by myself, um, but it was pretty dope, regardless. Because you know my friends never like looked at me any different because of it. You know, they embraced me to the point that you know I remember one of my homies was like, "Yo, you basically Dominican." Growing up around us. Um, <laughs> So, it's kind, of, it's kind of whack in the sense that, like, I never got too close to my own, like, identity, but it was dope to be, like, welcomed and with open arms and shit. Um, as far as Giuliani, like, he made it difficult being a teenager, I will say. Um, I was, like, a preteen going into my teenage years. Um, when he was about to come out of office, um, definitely that, that whole stop and search issue was was definitely big that's when you know I first started noticing that you know this police harassment shit isn't really just something that happens on television um it definitely happens in real life it happens to us that's when you started being um, I think a lot of black and brown youth start being viewed as criminals mm-hmm. uh it's during those formative like teenage years uh I remember I had a a dean in my high in my middle school who threatened to call the cops on me one time because he was accusing me of stealing pokemon cards um so, which i was never even into pokemon at the time you know uh i eventually got into it after the fact yeah it, it just it definitely shaped like let me know like oh this is how like the so-called dominant society views us you know what i'm saying like they view us as as criminals, even if they are supposed to be our teachers and stuff like that, or here to supposedly protect us, they, they definitely view us in that light. And it's, you know, Giuliani enabled that, I because he definitely went hard on trying to lock people up. <laughs> That's crazy, because, like, to me, it's like it's such a normal part of life. Um, fucked up. So stop there first, because basically, like, you're walking down the street. And if you happen to look like, uh, let's say the cops are actually looking for somebody that committed a crime, and if you fit the description, they'll stop you and they will frisk you. Um, and that's extremely difficult as a youth because you don't know the law like that. You know what I'm saying? So you'll end up doing shit that you're not supposed to do, that you that are against your rights. You know? So they take advantage of that type of shit. Um, so basically you get stopped you know and the cops stop you they put you up against the wall usually Um, they start asking you questions like you know what you're doing here where you going Um, do you have any form of identification Um, if you're a kid you're not walking around with ID you know what I'm saying if you know, they don't even, like, give out New York State IDs until, like, you're 18 years old or unless, like, you have your, your driver's permit, you mm-hmm. know, or a driver's license in New York, which is very rare because we out here taking trains and shit and buses. You know, we're not out here driving like that. Um, so a lot of us, when we're teenagers, we don't really have any form of identification unless, like, we're coming home from school and we can pull out that ID, but sometimes cops will fuck with you and be like, that's not like real ID, you know, you need like some state type shit, um, state issued ID, so, you know, they start harassing you like that, and depending on your demeanor, whether you have experience dealing with cops or not, you could find yourself either, you know, doing something out of ignorance, like ignorance of the law, and you might end up you know, fucked up in that manner. Because who knows, maybe you're, like, smoking some weed. Back in the days, that's the other thing. In New York, weed, Marijuana was, like, a big thing. Like, you get, get locked up behind that type of shit. So if you have, happen to have something on you, you're fucked, bro. If, you know, now let's say you go another route and you start talking back to the cops, they'll just find any excuse to lock you up. And... That's kind of like basically what like stop and frisk ends up being. You know, they stop you, they frisk you. Sometimes they don't find something on you. And it's, and the NYPD has, has denied this over and over. But there's been plenty of reports of former police acknowledging this. That they do plant evidence on you and that they, at the end of the month, there is a, a quota that they need to meet. A certain number of arrests that they need to meet at the end of the month just to kind of keep the numbers stacked up so they could look good you know in order to make more money so they end up trying to lock you up at the end of the month so it was always like this thing at least in my mind where it's like i there's like five more days left in this month let's try to avoid the cops as much as possible because they'll look to either hand out citations uh give you a ticket or just
1: you know, take you in for, for whatever reason, yeah. It's really wild how, like, in that era of New York, you could almost like forecast it like like a weather forecast, you know, almost like oh, it's the end of the month, you know, so cops are gonna be wilding out, you know, trying to meet like their quota. Thank you for sharing that, um, that experience with us. You know, we had Azamali. Um, on this program uh, several years back and he also kind of shared his own experience with the NYPD and you know his experience with the police out there in New York and it's um it's just it's very I think for a lot of people outside of you know that out of New York and like the tri-state area it's just wild you know how like we all we already know how like you know the police arbitrarily apply the laws to you know black and Latino citizens but just to see, like, how arbitrarily, like, stop and frisk was just applied to, like, you know, communities out there is just, it's crazy. I th- And I think a lot of people, like, outside of New York, you know, don't really realize, you know, like, how much that dominated people's lives, you know?
0: It, yeah, like, even hanging out on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, ba- yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, they um they be out here, like, heavy. Like, there's, they're patrolling the streets, like like crazy. The police presence is, is insane. And I did peep that Asomali um episode and what's crazy was like he cat he mentioned that he was um being harassed by the same cop. You know, and that's not that's not an anomaly. I've had people I worked with um that told me the same thing, like they're always getting harassed by the same cop in their neighborhood mm-hmm. to the point that they already know know them. And it's like could you imagine, like, just walking out your crib, and you see that cop, and it's like, fuck, I gotta deal with this dude today. And that's basically what, like, Asomali dealt with, and that's the same story I've heard multiple times from, like, homies I've worked with, or, like, my own friends and shit like that. You know, it's like, bro, at that point, you just basically getting bullied, and there's nothing you could do about it.
1: It's really a trip, you know, just, like, how fucked up it is, and, you know, just, though. Like you said, it's like individual targeting, you know, like down on like a macro level like that. But, um, you know, thank you for sharing that, man. I really appreciate you kind of like, you know, illustrating that for our listeners, you know, that experience that is obviously police harassment is not u- unique to New York City itself. But like but I think that that particular circumstance, it's very it's very much a New York phenomenon, you know, just how personal it can get. You know, but kind of, kind of moving on. You know, on something not quite as heavy. You know, let's dive into the music, man. You know, uh, you were kind of, you were, you were kind of going in a little bit earlier about how, um, you know, your sister was actually the one that kind of put you like on your fir- your earliest introductions to hip hop. And, um, yeah, you know, I kind of wanted to, I kind of wanted to ask, you know, like growing up, you know, like who were your top artists? You know, what were your musical influences? You know, that inspired you.
0: Everybody, <laughs> um, but uh, like I would say the, the main core was like Nas, Big Pun, Eminem, Wu Tang, Mom Deep Big L, uh, The Locks, Tupac, Dre and Snoop, Onyx, uh, shit. I feel like I'm going blank here. Cannabis, there was KRS1, Rakim I'll say like those were probably like at least early on and like early influences even into like when I was, cause you kind of go through a journey with like hip hop music mm-hmm. where you, where it's like, it's almost like common said you know, you're introduced to her as a girl, as, as a, as a young kid, when she's like a girl in a sense. And then, you know, as you mature, you kind of realize like, oh shit, it's like, girl next door I kind of have feelings for it and, you know it comes like you like her and then it's like oh I love her type of shit it was definitely on that lot um, and I expanded definitely especially like to other like regions um, underground mainstream mixtape type shit so mm-hmm. it was like eventually I, ju- I just expanded <laughs> outside of those core elements but yeah I would say like Definitely, the ones I named were were
1: the ones that influenced me early on, and um, and yeah. Most definitely, man you know, I love like you you brought up, you know, like the um the analogy that Common used. You know, like kind of getting introduced to like hip hop as like you know, like she's like a girl, and as you progress, you know, she's like a young woman. You know, that you kind of become a little bit more infatuated with, and that kind of leads me on to my next question. About how exactly, you know, you got into making music. Because, you know, like you said, you're kind of, you're coming of age in this golden era. Like, you know, all the credible artists of the time. Gangstar, uh, Blackstar, you know, KRS-One, Onyx, you know, Nas, Beat Nuts, you know. Throughout these years, it's like there's there's a classic album, you know, being dropped every week. And, um, <laughs> you know, and uh, what I wanted to ask you, you know, is like, one of the questions that we always ask, you know, other artists on this show is that, everybody starts off in this um you start you kind of you kind of start off as a uh, observer of the yeah. art you know you're we're fans you know you're you're consuming the music you're taking part in the culture and eventually there comes a point where you want to go from just being from this um this stationary observer role to being a participant you're like oh I want to be making music, whether that's I want to be an MC, whether I want to be a DJ, I want to be a producer, I want to be a b-boy, what have you, there comes this point where everyone has their aha moment, and I wanted to ask you, what was your aha moment when you knew, like, I don't want to just be consuming this, I want to be a creator and a participant in this
0: movement? In hindsight, it actually happened um, in 2000, I believe, yeah. Uh, Yeah Baby had just come out uh, Big Pun's um, Second album And there was a song on there That had a verse that I was like infatuated with Because I had never heard somebody rap like that before It was the song called um, Wrong Ones I believe And I later come to find out That the start of the verse was like The first verse he ever wrote Or the first like rhymes he ever wrote Um, And I believe it's like Cannibalism is living in my metabolism. Given
3: those spasms and aneurysms and baby
0: baptisms, that's what my thugs think. Your bull, your blood, holding his love, flooded bugs, bloody your bloated Even the reverend, can get the seven when I'm beheading. The Armageddon is better demons, heathens in heaven, going back the spirit, triple, triple times, but you will find shifters of Satan the critical. And it's like, that's just the crazy ass line to write in general, like, even if you're a veteran MC. And I just remember thinking, like, damn, if I ever rapped, I would want to rap like this. You know what I'm saying? And um, so that was like me. That was like 2000, summer 2000, I want to say. When it hit me, like that idea just hit me like that. Um, but it wasn't until like 2001 that I started writing. Actually, like, yeah, a few weeks before Leah died, I remember. So it was like August 2001. And it wasn't because like I wanted to be a rapper or like I wanted to be a creator or I wanted to express myself because there's like a lot of artists that say that. Um, honestly, I had just come off of, like, my freshman year in high school and I had got threatened with, like, expulsion twice and suspension four times in the span of, like, six months. And it was because I was doing a whole bunch of dumb shit. And I had, you know, I was basically, like, bored in high school. You know, I guess in looking back on it, I wasn't being challenged and I probably should have found other means or ways to, like, do something with that type of energy that I had, Mm -hmm. Um, which is, you know, I want to take the time to be like, you know, it's important for the youth to find something positive to do with their time. And that's why the youth needs, like, a lot of, like, programs uh, for whatever, Uh, whether it's arts, whether it's science, or, you know, learning other type of skills that'll help them out through life. Because I felt like, I didn't learn shit after maybe like the fifth grade. And we were just like going through the motions for like until we graduated high school. At least that's how I felt personally. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just kind of, I don't know. I had like this look in the mirror moment and I was just like, I right, I need to find something to like occupy my time because I, I can't go through another year doing this same shit or like, you know, finding myself doing like things that are not, Conducive of any type of product productivity or personal growth, you know what I'm saying? And um, I was just like, let me try rapping. <laughs> <laughs> I like the music. Um, I, you know, I had homies already in high school that, um, that I had met that were already like rapping and stuff. Like, they have been rapping for years. So I was like, that looks like fun. I mean, let me let me try it. You know what I'm saying? And that was kind of what I started doing. Um, for like a year going into high school, into like my sophomore year, I didn't tell anybody. Um, I told one of my homies and then he started telling everybody, and then everybody started kinda coming up to me like I'm a rapper, like like a real ass rapper. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile I'm just like writing rhymes. I'm not actually like performing them, spitting them, I'm not joining ciphers, I'm not in, you know, it's not like we, we, you know, we at the lunch table and I just start rhyming and shit. You know, I didn't do any of that until like maybe like the following year, um, mostly because uh, one of my other homies, uh, he started, he had already dabbled in rapping with his boys back in junior high. Um, and when he heard that I was rapping, he was like, all right, let me give this another shot. And I was just kind of like, all right, cool. So me and him was always like rapping, but he was more like freestyling because his his homies was already like freestyling, rhyming, trying to record already. And I was just like, here, just writing my rhymes for me. And it wasn't until like the following year that he ends up at the lunch table talking smack to like this other dude. He's talking shit at lunch, whatever. And I kind of walk away from it, and I'm like, whatever, bro. And then I, I walk away, and I come back, like, maybe five, ten minutes later, and they're still talking. You know? And I'm like, I. Right. And then he gets to the point where it's like, me and my homie, you know, me and SK, were like, you know, we'll battle you and your homie. And I'm like, in my head, I'm like, fuck, bro. what are What are you getting me into? <laughs> <laughs> and... But I can't, I can't front, you know, I, 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 you know, I got to back him up. So then I start talking shit to him, like, yeah, we'll, we'll like mash you in this battle or whatever. And, um, eventually we end up doing this battle. Um, the way we did it was like, uh, they record three songs and we record three songs and shit. And that was like the first time we ever recorded basically. Like, I don't even know where I got this mic Hooked up straight to the to my computer at the time, and you know we just we we just wrote these uh, like battle raps, and um, we we recorded them. It was like one song solo for each, and then we hopped on the other song together. And that's basically how it all started for me. Um, after that, it was just like I've been recording. After that, making like little projects on our own and um yeah it's
1: it's been that ever since that's what's up man you know like i always love to hear people's origin story about you know how they started and so you know you spend the next couple years you know you're battling you're rapping in ciphers you know learning how to record and honing your craft and eventually you put out your first mixtape in 2006 you know tell us a little bit about that project and how that came to be
0: that was crazy because um Like, this was the era of, like, mixtapes. So we just coming off, like, G-Unit. Flooding, like, the mixtape circuit. Um, It's still popping. Like, K-Slade, Clue mixtapes and stuff like that. Uh, D-Block, Dipset. um, They're still doing their thing. And it was starting to evolve into, like, I guess, like, that whole Lil Wayne, No Ceilings era. Um, And, like, the DJ drama Gangsta Grills era. So that's where it was like heading into but i was still like we was still in like that whole mentality of like jumping on other people's beats and rapping over them
4: mm-hmm.
0: um which was like heavily available back in the days like those instrumentals and those beats from like hit singles were available immediately online you were downloading them on lime, lime wire or like you know whatever else you was u- using to download so i had like a crazy amount of like industry beats that I was rapping to and it was just me and my crib. Um, we me and my homies had like released like some projects in high school and you know we had a few people buy them and stuff. So we pulled that money together and we bought a mic and it ended up being in my crib because I had like the most advanced computer at the time. So we um, would come record in my crib and I just ended up with the mic after a while. Um, so everybody would come record in my crib, and I was doing, like, the mixing and stuff, myself recording and mixing it, and it was just basically, like, a whole bunch of freestyles. Um, some of my homies were, like, dabbling and making beats, so I was hopping on some of those beats, so there were some, like, songs on there as well, um, and it was just kind of, like, me just, like, going in. There was, like, no sense of like actual aside from like a few songs there weren't really any like actual like meaningful songs it was just me like on some like Lloyd Banks Jadakiss type shit it was just like punchline rap um on some like cannabis beast from the east type shit um and you know eventually I had I think I had like a feature from like everybody I knew that rapped around the way and you know eventually I just handed it out to like a whole bunch of like Mostly my friends and stuff, and like whoever I came across that would be down to listen to it, um, and it, it felt it felt good because like, um, I remember they told me like, yo, we was outside on the block, you know, just bumping your shit the whole night, and you know, I wasn't there when they did it, but the fact that they was doing that when I wasn't there was was really dope, and you know, it was times that. I'd be walking down the block like there was one instance I was like walking down the block and I was trying to see if uh, a guy I knew was out there and stuff you know he was a homie that I also rapped with but I didn't really know him like that but I had met a few people in his crew it was basically I was like 19 20 years old and he was he was a little younger than me he was like 15 or 16 was running around with a whole bunch of dudes, like, a little bit younger than him, um, so it was, like, a whole bunch of 14-year-olds, being he, they, like, like, a crew, like, you know, they just running around doing, like, crazy shit, and I remember walking up and trying to see, like, by his stoop that they there, and, you know, I knew he was surrounded by his, like, whole crew, but as I started, like, heading towards the stoop, to like getting get a little closer to see if he's there or not, I, I realize they're like starting to surround me. And you know, none of them really recognize me mm-hmm. or know me at all. And I don't know, and I'm looking around and I don't really know any of them. And I'm like, fuck, it looks like I'm about to get jumped right here. And eventually one of the homies that I actually knew that I had met before pops his head up and he's like, oh yo, SK, what up? And then they all kind of like stopped and they're like, oh, that's that's the dude that raps, right? And I'm like, and they're like, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, and they start giving me like props and shit. And then they just kind of like backed off. And I was just like, holy shit. They was about to like probably jump me and rob me. But because I rap and they know who I am, mm-hmm. they like, they fell back. And also I'm like, oh, he's cool. It kind of gave me a sense of like, like, damn, this like, like the word actually like is is that powerful? You know what I'm saying? Where it's like you command that type of respect just based off of something you say, you know. And um, I'm sure I'm sure you know that as like a writer, that it's it's a, a, an extremely powerful tool um, not to be taken lightly.
1: Absolutely, man. You know, like they say, sometimes, you know, the pen is mightier than the sword. And, uh, you know, that actually brings me to my next question. So, like, you know, so you're you're doing this, you know, for a number of years. And then, like, there actually comes a point where you kind of uh, you're kind of considering quitting rap altogether. But what some people may not know who are not familiar with your story is that you actually spent, you know, several years writing as a freelancer for online publications and magazines into like uh you know as you kind of like describe yourself you know take writing seriously dive into that a little bit you know how did you get into freelance writing and you know what kind of stuff were you writing about man you know what kind of publications were you freelancing for at the time
0: um so i the whole quitting thing quitting rap thing was like maybe when i was like 21 22 ish um just because you know at one point i, I thought like you know, maybe I should try to really go hard at this rap shit and, you know, kind of get into the industry. But then, you know, you start hearing crazy shit about, like, shady industry deals now, like, it's all crazy. And um, I was also aware of, like, the direction, like, hip-hop was going, at least mainstream hip-hop, you mm-hmm. know. So it was going in the direction of, like, Lil Wayne was the best rapper alive, it's like a shit, which, you know, I like Lil Wayne's music, but I don't think he's, like that top-tier type of MC. You yeah. know what I'm saying? I come, I come from, like, the Nas, <laughs> that type of dude, you know? So I'm like, I... Things are getting a little dumbed down, at least in the mainstream. Um, and at the time, I didn't really think, like, being in, you know, uh, the cages and, uh, like, at the time, the Voice, the Five Nines, and Crooked Eyes, I felt like, I wanted to be, I guess, more mainstream. I guess, you know, just being young and looking for, I don't know, clout or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um so then I was just like, alright, maybe, you know, let's just keep doing the rap shit on some like fun shit, you know, with my homies. Um and you know, we we, we did that. You know, we would just make songs for ourselves, songs. Um, so I was like early twenties. And around that same time, uh, the blog was happening. Mm -hmm. And one of my homies was really into fashion. And, you know, he was into hip-hop as well. But he was starting to dive more into fashion. Um, He was checking out a lot of blogs, which, you know, there was that intersection, as you can see with, like, the Kanye's and stuff. Um, So he was thinking of starting a blog. Um, he had tried to do one before on like blogger, but it wasn't like, you know, he didn't get the traction that he wanted. Um, and he was also, he was actually the one who was going to school at the time. So yeah, he, he was thinking of like doing another blog, giving blogging another shot. And he was looking at, you know, what form, what, uh, host, I guess at the time. Either do doing the the Google Blogger thing again, mm-hmm. or doing Tumblr, which was popping at the time. And you know he chose Tumblr. He, in my opinion, was a very really good writer. You know he's a funny dude as well. So he has like incredible in my in my mind he had incredible takes on, on fashion, on music, movies, film, media, and. I was like, all right. So he was telling me about, like, he's going to do Tumblr. But then he came to me with a proposition. Because he thought that I had some crazy takes on, like, the world or whatever. So he came to me and said, I'll do the blog, but only if you do it with me. So I was like, in my head, I'm like, all right, whatever. I'll do it. And... That's in my mind how I wanted it to go. I thought it was gonna go like I, I do this with him for like maybe a couple of months or whatever, and then, you know, once he gets comfortable, once he gets gains his confidence, I'll you know just fall back and fade fade to black and just go back to doing whatever I was doing at the time. But it didn't work out that way. Um, so our blog. blog at the time which I don't think it even exists if you find if you look for it was called Cocaine Tacos (laughs) um (laughs) so um he did we 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 would we shared this blog this Tumblr and people in our circle of friends or whatever they would read it and you know I was getting like a lot of compliments on my writing not not necessarily from like I guess a grammatical standpoint but just you know just me being I I don't know honest or whatever I don't know what people gravitated towards at the time we was just writing about like random shit the interest that we had you know either music or like movies or like whatever happens to be going on in the world at the time Mm so enough people were telling me like yo you you are really good at writing and after maybe like a year, I was just like, "I." Right. everybody keeps telling me I'm really good. I was working at in a warehouse in Brooklyn, uh, in downtown Brooklyn, and I was fucking miserable. I was just like drinking way too much. I was smoking a lot, um, and I was just like, I need to find something to do, like something else. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say this was like a dark moment in my life. Um, thankfully not that dark. It was just kinda like I need to figure some shit out. I need to find something else out here. Um, so I was like, people keep telling me I'm really good at this writing shit, so let me um let me give it a shot, you know what I'm saying? So I started applying on Craigslist to like, you know, any writing gigs online and I started the real first one that I got a, like, legit shot was this website called Broke-Ass Stewart. Um, it's actually California-based. Um, there was this dude named Stewart Shuffman um, from San Francisco, I believe. He had a IFC channel program called Young, Broken, Beautiful. Um, basically, he would go around, like, different cities in America and find, like, the dopest, cheapest things to do in every big city. Um, So like New York, San Francisco, he went to like different places. He published like two books. So I ended up writing for that website for a while, um, for a long time actually, um, since it gave me my first shot. And, you know, that one thing led to like another and I just kept applying to like different places. So I ended up writing for a, a publication called Cannabis Now Magazine. Um, I wrote like a few articles for them. Uh, they were distributed in like Barnes and Noble, Seven Eleven, and stuff. So they, it was basically like um, reporting about like uh, New York censored um, cannabis news and stuff like that. You mm. know, just giving updates on that. Uh, but like my bread and butter was probably like doing event coverage. So I worked at, I did writing for like the knitting factory in Brooklyn. Um, I wrote for this other publication called Alt Variety Magazine. Uh, I think they still have like a Wikipedia page on it. Um, we, they interview like mad, like D-list celebrities and stuff, like Margaret Cho. There was like articles about like fucking um, how to make homemade DMT. Uh, we would like interview comedians uh, porn stars, former <laughs> porn stars. There's people like that live like these subversive lives and stuff. So it was a mix between like event coverage, interviews. I would do like performance art interview. Like I would interview performance artists. There was one dude named like uh, Johnny Bizarre who was a club kid. If y'all don't know what a club kid was in New York, there was this scene downtown. Um, that, like, uh, John Michelle Basquiat was a part of, and, like, Madonna and Fat Five Freddy, they would be considered, like, club kids because mm-hmm. they was partying downtown in, like, the Soho area in New York. Um, so he was part of that scene. Uh, there's a movie called Party Monster with Macaulay Culkin and Seth Green that kind of gives you an insight of that whole little world as well. Uh, so he was a performance artist. And... You know, one time to get, like, an interview from him, uh, I had to kind of be part of, like, his show. Um, And one of his main acts is basically, like, he does something called the the human blockhead. So if you ever went to, like, a carnival or something like that, they do that trick where, like, they take a nail, put it in their nose, and, you know, they, like, hammer it into Mm -hmm. their nose basically this dude did something like that, but he did it with his dick. Um, so he would put a, a a, a nail in his pee hole and he would like hammer it into his God dick. Damn. Um, and I remember he chose me as like a volunteer to like hammer the nail inside his dick. So there's like probably pictures floating around. Cause this happened at the super chief gallery. um, so there's probably pictures floating around on the internet somewhere of me, like, hammering a nail into some guy's dick. <laughs> um, uh, so I, I, you know, I did stuff like that. Um, yeah. What else? <laughs> I wrote for, like, this publication called New York Natives, um, it was basically kind of, like, centered around New Yorkers, obviously, and, like, their takes on, you know, New York and just their personal stories and stuff and their experiences. So I did stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a kind of a crazy time. A lot of uh, fun experiences. I will
1: say. No doubt, man. I mean, like, like you said, you know, like never a boring day or a boring story, you know, like you got a, you got your next album cover. (laughs) That's wild, man. But yeah, man, you know, thank you for, uh, yeah, thank you for sharing that because like, As a writer and a journalist myself, you know, like your your journey takes you, it brings you in contact with a lot of different individuals, people with lots of unique stories and takes and different journeys, and it's every assignment I feel is its own unique thing. So, um, you know, actually,
0: you know, one thing I forgot to mention, I actually did cover like one of Joey Badass's first pro era's first, like one of their first like concerts and stuff at the Knitting Factory. Oh wow. And now I'm looking back. I'm like, damn, son. Like I was there from like the jump. You know, got to see Capital Steves when he was still with us and stuff. So that
1: was pretty dope. Yeah. Rest in peace, Capital Steves, man. Word.
0: You know,
1: RIP. You know, shout out to Pro Era and the whole Beast Coast Collective out there, man. You know, uh, so uh, yeah, I man. You know, one thing that you, uh, so you're you're you have you're having all these incredible experiences. You know, freelancing. You know, you're freelance for all these different publications. But one thing you did lament is how there is as anyone who's ever worked in the journalism industry (laughs) there is a clear racial and cultural bias and there's a there's a big lack of diversity in the industry especially when we get up into the upper levels of management and you know um uh editors and you know uh people who actually make the calls on like what kind of stories get out there you know i kind of want the you know you faced you know various obstacles um, can you can you kind of tell us you know some of those obstacles that you face as a freelancer
0: so as you know like when you do freelance writing or any type of writing for a publication you have to pitch something before you know you can write write about it essentially mm-hmm. <laughs> or have it published um, so a lot of times I found myself pitching, Ideas and stories that weren't necessarily um, welcomed with open arms. Sometimes it was like, uh, "Maybe that's not for us," type of thing. And that usually happened with um, the uh, like publications that were getting money from advertisers. You know, mm-hmm. so they so from a business standpoint, I understand like I your advertisers aren't going to be cool with that. Um, you know, you have to show that. You're bringing in an audience, but you're also bringing in an audience that's going to spend money on whatever it is I'm advertising for you. And I also want the writing to be safe. So from a business standpoint, like I understand it from a creative writer standpoint, it's like, yo, y'all just out here bullshit. (laughs) You know, you're not willing to take a risk um, and talk about like some real ass shit that's going on out here. You know what I'm saying? And it's crazy because, like, I the time frame of when I'm writing is um, 20, so it's like 2012, 11 ish to like 2015, 16. So it's really not that many years ago. Mm -hmm. But in the way the world moves nowadays, that is basically like almost 10, 15 years ago. (laughs) Yeah, Um,
1: (laughs) it was very fast.
0: It is. So I remember, like, pitching certain things, and I'm like, all right, cool, whatever. I remember feeling like, all right, this might not get picked up, but, like, you know, I'll write about something else. I'm cool with that. Um, and sometimes I would get, like, a uh, something published, but I also saw that a lot of people weren't really reading it. And then I just kind of came to realize, like, there, the readership doesn't really give a fuck about these topics that I'm writing about. And it's because the readership isn't reflective of my own community. Um, And I started to peep that. And I probably should have peeped it earlier, but I was so focused and infatuated with getting my within the door that I wasn't paying attention. Mm-hmm. And when I started seeing like one day, it just kind of like hit me. Like now that I'm got my foot in the door, now I'm looking around and I'm realizing I'm the only one in here that's really looking like me. Um, there was like I remember in that the the first publication that I wrote for, there was only one other person of color there, maybe two, and I'm like, damn, I never really like realized that and the more I started looking into it and the more like other writers of color that I started interacting with, we started talking about that type of shit. And I remember there was a a homie named Freddie that, you know, he wanted to start his own shit and I was trying to help him out. And I was starting to realize like, I just happened to like Google like, you know, black or Latino Run like online publications or like magazines and stuff, and you know you'd get like the normal like Yahoo Latino or something like that, mm-hmm. and you know it's like, all right, cool. We may not have our own thing, but we have this thing here. But then you start looking at the editors and stuff, and it's like it's usually just white people. So yeah. it's like white people dictating what like people of color should be reading and writing about, and I think that's kind of crazy. Because it's like, it's not authentically us, you know what I'm saying? And the publications that were owned and ran by us aren't usually the first things that pop up on Google. So from a digital standpoint, there is that like gatekeeping that's going on as well. Absolutely. Um, so things are still going on, I'm still writing and whatever. But then I, now I start, I remember it was the Mike Brown incident that happened. I remember it went to trial, and I think they found the police not guilty, right? For my, for killing Mike Brown.
1: Yeah, well, like they they and did they never indicted him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, um, I wanted to write about that, and I pitched it, and I remember I got like rejected for it, and I I remember like. The response was like, you know, this may be your truth, or may, this may be what you believe, but I think this is a little too raw for, you know, for us mm. to publish. So let's, let's go with something else. And I was like, damn, son. I think that was, like, the point where I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> like, I didn't want to deal with it no more. <laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? And I was just... After that, like I kept writing for this, the publication because I mean a, a check was a check, and that's the way I viewed it. But every time that check kept coming in the mail, I was just like, whatever, <laughs> you know. And like I lost, I lost, I lost the passion for it. I I didn't want to write anymore, and and I think it was reflective in like the the pieces that I was pitching after it. And I remember I. I was even kind of being, like, an asshole about it. Like, I was pitching shit about, like, I wrote something about, like, what a buck 50 was. And they were very welcoming about, like, that type of shit. It's like, oh, you're not willing to write about, like, Mike Brown, but you're willing to take, you know, to learn what, like, a buck 50 is. Mm -hmm. You know, and and what that means in the streets and stuff like that. You know, it's like, that, I, I just, it's, didn't feel right
1: very exploitative.
0: and yeah and and it it definitely didn't sit right with me and i just kind of was like i i'm kind of over this and at the time i didn't feel like i could even start my own shit because i'm like where is the audience for like for like us where i feel like now especially after like 2020 i feel like that audience is definitely there now mm. and what was crazy about 2020 was there was that one or two months stretch where all these publications that were rejecting these black these voices of color were now like oh pitch us everything <laughs> and we'll we'll be willing to publish it and i remember a writing homie that i had she she was like let's see how long this actually lasts because she went through the same shit. She just recently published the first Puerto Rican cookbook, and she went through, like, hell to get that to happen. And it's just real, bro. Like, if you're trying to get hurt out here, you kind of have to do it on your own, and you have to hustle the shit out of it. Kind of like, you know, you're doing with Step Off Magazine. You know, you got to hustle it to, to, like, put it out there. And you got to grow that audience, you know what I'm saying? Because if not, you're not gonna get heard in these by these other like big publications.
1: Yeah, man. Most definitely, you you have to forge your own path, you know. And like, there's gonna be certain stories that like a majority of publications they're not gonna touch, or if they or if someone does, you know, it's probably gonna be something smaller and more independent, you know. And this kind of leads me to my next question because I do remember in 2020 there was a good couple months where like publications left and right wanted to hear from you know writers of color you know like so summer of 2020 comes you know the world is flipped upside down we got we're in the height of the COVID-19 pandemic Uh, the uprisings are going on you know from uh, after the murder of George Floyd and like you said you know social issues that were deemed you know too edgy just a few years prior they're suddenly a hot topic you know every publication wanted to address them and this actually leads you back to the mic. You know, kind of walk us through that process, you know, you know, that took you from this realm of, you know, you're kind of, you know, freelancing, doing print journalism, and then you're kind of transitioning back into this role as an MC.
0: Um, so after I had left the writing thing, I was like, Alright, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, I'll work my regular ad jobs. But like I think I hurt my back really badly in like 2015 shit. So I started writing again. I started writing rhymes. I never really stopped, but I just started doing it again. And I just kept telling myself, like, this is going to be, like, the last project I work on. Mm-hmm. And I would always continue working on it. Um, so there was a, a, a joint called Dream, which is actually on my Spotify. There's a few songs of it. Not all of the songs are on there. Um, that was supposed to be my last chunk And then after that, I was like, you know what? I wasn't happy with the way this came out. Let me try another one. So I was still kind of doing it for myself. But then the the, the songs that came after 2016, um, those songs were more on like the decolonizing journey that I was on Mm -hmm. so that started touching on that but it was still like with the mentality of like this is gonna be my last thing and it's just something I'm doing for me you know what I'm saying and then 2020 did come and you know everybody was like at home like miserable or like scared or basically every emotion that you could feel right
4: Mm, Yes. not
0: only because of COVID because of, you know, the shit that's going on in the country. Um, I was at home. Basically, I had my place to go, which is basically writing, you know. I was writing rhymes and stuff. That was what I did. I didn't feel like I was less than or like I was nothing. Like my my sense of worth isn't in my job. You know what I'm saying? My day job. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people's sense of worth is there. Um, My sense of worth was always with writing, rhymes and stuff, just writing in general. Um, So I just went back into that. Um, A lot of artists went and dove into, or a lot of creatives went and dove into their respective crafts. And I just kind of came to the conclusion, like... This is some shit I'm gonna do for the rest of my life. There is no sense of quitting. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been doing this shit since I was like 14, 15 years old. I'm 36 now. (laughs) (laughs) It's going on 20 plus years. Like, let me just stop acting like this is something I'm gonna get rid of or this is a phase or, you know, this is who the fuck I am. Mm -hmm. You know, so it just kind of like, I'm going to be on my deathbed rhyming, you know, there even you if go. I'm unconscious.
4: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, even if I can't see, if I lose my ability to talk, I'm going to be fucking sign language in bars, you know
1: what I'm saying? <laughs> there you go, it's, man. It's,
0: it's just in me, you know, and I also had to come to the conclusion of, like, or I had to like face myself as an MC. Like I started off wanting to be like so. I, I the name SK stands for Silent Killer. Mm-hmm. So I came up with Silent because it's it's it describes who I am as a person. I'm just a quiet dude overall. You know, I keep to myself. I'm an introverted person, but I wanted Killer to describe the type of MC I wanted to be at the time which was, you know, in my mind on some, like, doomsday, like, trying to, like, destroy the world type of shit. Mm-hmm. You know, I just wanted to, like, come after, like, fucking rappers. You know, like, Big Pun and Cannabis were, like, really influential to me. So I wanted to, to do that type of ramen. rhyming. Yeah. Um, but as a lot of people, at least on Twitter hip-hop say, like, they're kind of over the whole lyrical miracle thing. And to a certain extent... <laughs> I understand. I love Lyrical Miracle shit. <laughs> I love those bars. But I understand now that I'm older, like, yeah, at some point you have to actually say some shit. You know what <laughs> I'm saying? You can't just spend your whole career telling, you know, telling people how nice you are as a rapper. Yeah. You know. Um so I had to come face to face with myself and realize that not only do I want to grow as an artist but I also have to realize I basically squeezed all the juice out of that fruit that I could possibly do you know what I'm saying like I don't think I can do what I did as a teenager or even in my early 20s with like those like bars that just go hard Mm -hmm. they come here and there but it's not there all the time You know what I'm saying? Um, I could bar you the fuck up, you
2: know,
0: (laughs) I'm getting twisted, but, uh, it's not always there for me. You know, I'm not always tapped into that. And I don't know if that's because I've done it so many times or if it's more so that I've grown as a person as well. Um, I'm not a little kid with no life experience anymore or lack of life experience. Um, Motherfuckers, I read, read read books now. You know, what I'm saying. <laughs> I watch documentaries. I've lived life. I've experienced things. You know, so, um, and also going through the whole decolonizing journey, there is a sense of responsibility there, um, where you have to kind of teach or leave behind something for the next generation. You know we can go back and learn as much as we can about what happened 500 years ago, 300 years ago, and that documentation will always be there, but somebody also needs to document what's going on today, right now at the moment. What were we doing today? You know, because the victor or the superior, uh, the people who are in control of, the mass media's perception will change the media's perception to a certain thing. So there needs to be the whole story, not just, you know, that one narrative that we're all agreeing on to be rocking with in, on the mainstream level. So, um, I kind of had to like say, okay, this whole decolonizing journey and making, I guess, decolonizing music for our people, needs to be something that i need to do you know i am also an uncle now so (laughs) maybe right now my niece and nephews won't care but at some point in their lives they might actually want to look back and realize like look back and try to see where they come from and who they are and maybe even want to know more about me and stuff like that you know what i'm saying yeah so that that's basically why i went the route that i went with my music now and why i chose to go back with actual like actually like leaning into it and not just kind of like being on the fence about it and just dabbling in it
1: thank you for sharing that because as you said you know like you definitely made this very deliberate and conscious move to uh talk about a specific kind of subject matter and i kind of actually you know that leads me to my next question you know like um it kind of goes without saying along with indigenous empowerment in your music there's a strong philosophy of decolonization in your work you know and um you know that term gets thrown a lot around these days in both academia or like online as like a hashtag or a buzzword but i wanted to ask you what does decolonization mean to you both personally and how it's expressed and manifested in your music in your own daily life
0: It's a daily practice at this point. <laughs> uh You got to, I don't know, it's like, it's crazy. Because I feel, I had a homie, uh I have a homie. His name is Chris Yard. E. I did a song with him called People's Champ on Rojo's uh, Chronicles of 2022. Homie, homie, I move with my people. Honey, honey, I grew to the music. Honey, honey, I do what they can't do. Honey, honey, y'all love me. Come on homie, I move with my people, honey, honey, I groove to the music, honey, honey, I do what they can't do, honey, honey, y'all love me, I'm the cobalt, burning, animal, co-essence, learning, shape-shifting, crypto-earning, urban, cyberpunk, disturbing, the elites, unnerving, like a chemical insurrection, sitting still, disciplining for four directions, perfection, like the cultivation of maize, impress them, with my skills to penetrate the web, then impregnate the brains, with the blood of king and queens, restore the Feeling, let's start the healing, empower the children. You're an emperor kid, don't you ever get it twisted. And he asked me, like, Yo, when did you start like your decolonizing journey? And I guess, like, deliberately, maybe around 2016, 17. Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's always been there, and I feel like it's always been there for all of us on some level. You know, it's always like in the background and it's in our food, you know what I'm saying? That is always there. That, like our uh, frijoles and tortillas and, shit, you know, our tamales, they're always there for us and that has stayed with us. Uh, it, it's who we are, it allows us to remember who we are. Because like these aren't necessarily like so-called Latino foods. That's what they, that's what like America wants to call it. Mm-hmm. That's what the entire world wants to like label it. But that's just the marketing label. You know what I'm saying? Um, our food existed. Our culture existed before there was any label to it. So yeah, it's always it's always been there. Um, it's always going to be there. It's just when we choose to like kind of. Um, choose to take that journey. Um, a lot of us don't because we're just kind of like ignorant to it. Mm-hmm. Or a lot of us, you know, fall into like a lot of Western philosophies or religions or whatever. Um, Which actually are more like Eastern religions, but I mean, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> um. Uh, and yeah, like to me, it's like a day-by-day thing. You try to be conscious about it. I've tried to, like, learn, uh, like, Yucatec Maya. Um, I have, like, a book of, like, Iche Maya uh, language and, like, you know, the translations, which is kind of crazy because sometimes it's, like, English to Spanish to, you know, the Maya language and stuff. So it's, you know, I have the information there. We have as much as information as we possibly can. For me, it's... I look at the calendar each day. Like uh, I try to like do the the day count. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do that and try to see like what day it is and you know the energy. Which for any like body that's into hip hop, it would probably be closest to like how like the nation of the gods and the earths.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they look at you know like what's what's today's mathematics. Mm-hmm. I don't know if people have heard that through the. Wu Tang music, Wu Tang's music, or through the through the new Wu Tang um, series on Hulu. You know what I'm
3: saying? Let's walk this way. Is that Prince King? Come here, Prince. What's today's mathematics? map? Hey, yo, no disrespect, but we ain't in all of that, son. Build, destroy to build is to elevate the mentalities of self and those around self, to add positive energy to every nation. To build, you must first start from the root, which is the knowledge foundation, and add on to the highest peak. To destroy is to eliminate and destroy any and all negativity that enters my cipher of supreme harmony. Peace, God.
0: Peace, God. Where they talk about, you know, you'll see some of those scenes where, where they where they're dealing with the five percenters and they're they're like, uh, what's today's mathematics? Then they say say what today's, you know, what today means, you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying to them. Uh within that that following. Um and for us it's kind of similar. It's like, you know, uh today will be such and such day. This is the energy of the day, this is the number of the day. There's like a 13 and 20 count uh, type of thing. You know, like the, like I think recently I've seen a lot of homies on Instagram uh, were performing for like the Nashika New Year. Mm. You know, so there's like a lot of that happening. Um, So for me, day by day, I take it like that. I look at the day count. um, I'll look at, you know, I try to look at like some Instagram. Accounts that like they follow certain things. Uh, um, I try to tap in with like the community as much as possible. There's a uh, um, like a Zoom group of like Maya people uh, that's called the Popol Na uh, that like some people on Instagram or some people that have actually collaborated with, you know, on like other fronts, mm-hmm. they, they started that. And, you know, you start to learn about more about like uh, a lot of the artwork and, you know, the symbology behind it. You know, who, who the people or like, I, I, wanna, I don't want to say characters, but like, you know, the, the people depicted on on these pieces of art, who they were what they were doing, what the significance behind it is, what the language and the verbiage is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to take that journey. Uh, that's, that's how I do it personally. In terms of what I think about it, it does get thrown around a lot. Um, uh, I guess for different people, it means different things. Some people are definitely more on the extreme side of things. But we're all just kind of collectively figuring it out. And I think that in itself is a beautiful thing. Um, and we need one thing I, I'll probably say I won't. Li- I don't like about it is the judgment or the feeling holier than thou, mm. which I think is found in like a lot of spiritualities, especially in the whole, in the wake of the whole woke movement. Um, of, you know, like, oh, I'm this woke and I'm more woke than you. It's like, bro. You know, at one point you were where they were, you know, don't be looking down on them just because you're further along in your journey. You know, so there's a lot of that within the community uh, that I peep, um, which I think shouldn't, shouldn't be happening. But, um, you know, it's kind of like a each one teach one. Like if you know something, then teach it, but teach it in a humble manner because you didn't come across this information uh, through arrogance, you know, if somebody wanted to really not give out this information, they would have definitely been on some, like, gatekeeping type of shit. But, you know, the information was shared with you, and uh, and, it, and it came a long way, and it came from from a humble place, you know what I'm saying, with a place of, of good intention.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, none of us were born woke. You know, we, we didn't just wake up one day and just had all this knowledge you know someone taught us or we you know we read or you know we came across all this over time yeah I definitely uh I think a lot of listeners um can relate and would uh agree with that sentiment that you just shared you know thank you I, I really appreciate you sharing that you know with that said you know like you like you said you uh you are amongst a um a growing group of MCs that include this uh mantra and um philosophy of decolonization in their music whether it's you know jaguar and threat from cosmic force you know we got uh indigenous cats celine salah sub one Azomali, you know lots of friends of the show (laughs) Uh, needless to say you know that are in part that are part of this movement and i kind of wanted to get your take you know um even though there's probably you know more generally socially conscious music amongst artists than ever before, you know, it's still a rarity you know um, as a whole, you know, like amongst um, artists, and I kind of wanted to ask you know, how do you feel like uh, indigenous representation in hip-hop is right now?
0: I think it's the best it has ever been, Mm. (laughs) to be honest bro, I mean, looking back on it, there was really nobody, I mean, I just recently found out that the actor from Indian from in the cupboard. He was like a rapper back in the days.
2: Oh shit! I didn't know that
0: shit. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, what the fuck? Because I just, I just, you know, sometimes shit pops up on your your social media feeds, and you're like, oh shit, I forget. I remember this. So I just looked it up, and you know, I found. I just went down that rabbit hole and found out he was a rapper, and I'm like, what the fuck? Um. So yeah. I guess he was the only one repping for like uh, northern natives mm-hmm. um, but I guess if you want to be like if you want to keep it like real the MCs that were called Latinos were really indigenous MCs yeah. you know what I'm saying so we have the big puns we have the Cypress Hill with Be Real and Send Dog we have the Fat Joes we have, uh, who else? There's like MCs that are like mixed, you know, that would be considered Afro Indigenous, like the Norries, the Fabs, the Lloyd Banks. We have, like you mentioned, the Beatnuts. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, so I guess if you want to be technical, we've always been there. We just were under a different label. Yeah, but you know. The, at least in New York, you know, I will say, uh, with Puerto Ricans, they've always been repping Boricua, you know, so they always been there with like their indigenous roots, just kind of like um, the Chicano rapper movement was always close to their indigenous roots.
1: Exactly, you know what
0: I'm saying. So it's like, and, and that brings up a good point, like Puerto Ricans and, and Mexicans, like. They've always been at the forefront of like this indigenous movement in America, at least, you know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's because they they were some of the few that put up the biggest fight against the colonization um, in history, or you know whatever it may be. But they've always been repping for years. Um, I'll probably say now it's it's more prevalent than ever because you know not only are we rapping? But like, so is the whole world. Hip hop has gotten to a point where it's like, we've infiltrated everything that they said we wouldn't. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You walk into like some high end fashion store and they're probably bumping like Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion (laughs) and shit. That was unheard of. Like you would, Back in the days, if like Lil Kim was playing in the, like, like a like the ice cream spot or whatever, you know, you would think that that was crazy. Like that was almost blasphemous. Yeah, you get fired for some shit like that. <laughs> but now, <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: But now it's like that. is the norm. It's like it's trendy. It's it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? And for better or worse, I'm happy about it because I know a lot, a lot of people don't want to fuck with that um that type of content you know they say it's it's bad or whatever it's it's exploited exploitative um but you can definitely look at that from different views that's a whole other argument but <laughs> um but yeah like i I feel like indigenous hip hop is in a good place look at like a tribe called red mm-hmm. you know they're making songs with like uh Yasin Bey and stuff like that and and Sal Williams who are like prominent figures within uh hip-hop and i guess if you want to get into that thing like oh they're you know they're down with the black artists or they got the cosign of black artists if there's a lot indigenous people in the community that don't want to um don't want to admit this but there are afro-indigenous people out there
1: you know
0: um both in what is today considered Latin America, but also today what is uh, the United States. Um, a lot of people don't want to acknowledge the uh, black brothers and sisters in indigenous communities, um, but they are there, you know what I'm saying? So um, it's always been pretty prominent. Look at like uh, what ODB said about his grandfather in, um, what was it? Wu Tang Reunited or some shit. Mm-hmm. I think that was a song um, where he was even himself claiming like indigenous roots. So a lot of this is is a lot a lot deeper than you know than people would like to admit. And I know that in itself is very divisive um, from both sides. Um, but I think we're at a point where where we can now start exploring. You know that background and where we can represent collectively as
1: a unit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely, man. Thank you for uh, thank you for sharing that perspective. I think that like a lot of people can relate and definitely uh, find parallels to their own experience. You know, so thank you for sharing that with our listeners, man. No doubt. Yeah. So you know, uh, moving moving on to your own music. Um, earlier this year, you released an EP. Uh, the fuck is you talking about? Uh, tell us a little <laughs> bit about the backstory of that project, you know, what was the recording process for like, and kind of describe, uh, you know, your, uh, your creative process bringing that EP together.
0: Um, it was only a three song EP, so it was pretty light. Um, basically like last year I was working on a whole bunch of projects. Um, the one that is out now that came to fruition was, um, for Rojo's compilation, Chronicles of 2022, which has a lot of people that you shouted out earlier. um, So I, a lot of the, the theme in that project was, like, very heavy, was, you know, basically talking about social issues within the community, a lot of political issues and stuff like that, um, things that, you know, we face on a day-to-day basis. So it was, like, a little on the heavier side. And I was working... On two other projects, other collaborations. Um, those haven't come out yet. Um, hopefully, one day it will. Um, but a lot of it. So I was I was kind of like in a zone type of thing, um, where I was working on something. It seems like weekly or every other week at least. And you know, working on Rojo's stuff. You know, it was a little heavy. So. Uh, I had to kind of like find myself time to kind of decompress from that.
4: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and because I didn't know I like, I knew the topics were heavy, but you know, I didn't know the effect that it would have on me. Because it's kind of like watching a documentary and you see like bad things happening to your, your own people, or like watching the news and you hear like some horrible things occurring. It's like you don't necessarily want to be exposed to that for too long because it takes a toll on you mentally and emotionally, um, which in turn takes a toll on you physically. But, you know, as an artist, you know, you take on that responsibility and you take on that burden and, you know, because it needs to be addressed. But I needed to, like, decompress after that, and I was already in in that routine of, like, working on something. So every now and then when I work on something that's kind of heavy, I try to throw myself into something that's like a little bit more fun. Yeah. Uh, so to me, fun has always been, like I said, the whole lyrical miracle shit (laughs) that is my core as an MC, you know what I'm saying? That's who the fuck I am. Um, and yeah, just like, I went back into that. Like to me, that to me, like putting bars together is just fun, you know? That whole aspect is, is fun to me, and uh, so I did just that. It started off with well, me just going like to beat stars, and I found um uh, like this, this dude that makes beats. I think he goes by no the Noise Emporium, and I just started writing, and it was just like me having fun with it. The first joint was just like basically a freestyle. Not like off the top of the head, but just, you know, just a free form verse. Um, and then I was like, I had beats that I was sitting on for a couple years, but it didn't match anything that I could put onto like another project. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, all right, let me just do maybe two more songs. <laughs> and I gave myself that limit because... I was like, I can't do any more than this because then it becomes like a whole other project that I'm working on. Yeah. And I wanted to keep it light. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I did that. Uh, The first song was called Golden Weeks. That was the first joint that I was writing to. Um, Like I said, a free-form verse. And then the second song, I think, was called Zaza. It wasn't much of a song. (laughs) It's just basically two verses. And then me talking shit in between. <laughs> <laughs> um and then the third one was called the third song is called Dream Like like Call Young. Uh Young. Dream Like Young. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it was just a weird ass beat. And I thought it was dope. Uh and I ended up doing like the I guess more modern double time rhyming, like kinda like bigo style type shit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's always fun because it's always challenging to do something a little different. I'm usually more of like a boom, bap type of dude East Coast yes. type shit. Uh, so that's, that's my bread and butter, but to do something different is always great. Cause it challenges you as an MC. It challenges, it challenges you as, as an artist. Um, and almost, you know, you start diving into like the musicianship of it. Cause a lot of people don't give like mumble rappers and, and stuff like that, their their credit, you know, yeah, they might be mumbling through their rhymes, but there's, like, some type of musicianship behind it, you know what I'm saying? Like, the way you ride a beat is kind of like an art within itself, so you Mm. may not appreciate them for actually saying anything cohesive, but there's something to be said about how somebody rides a beat. For a long time, I thought Young Thug was whack until, like, I actually sat down and listened to him and I was like, "Oh, he got some bars. Plus, he could flow his ass off." You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's just about like keeping an open mind and and just being uh just, just being open to doing something different. You're not necessarily a sellout or doing something that's not hip hop because you're doing something that's new or trendy. You know, you're just adding pieces to your arsenal yeah yeah it's kind of like um i remember somebody described life after death for biggie it was like um the the crazy thing about life after death is that he collaborated with so many different artists and he assimilated all their styles into his own dma and still managed to keep it a biggie smalls album Mm -hmm. and that is how i try to frame um my artistry as an MC is to be able to peep what you're doing, take from it what will serve me in my skill set, and be able to use it. You know what I'm saying? That's how battle rappers are able to win their battles and remain so versatile. Um, so yeah, the song, the the songs were just you know challenging myself as an artist and trying to have some fun with it and you know just letting people know because i also am a little insecure when people hear me do like things that are like not like bar heavy Mm -hmm. i'm like i hope people don't think they can take my kindness for weakness and just hop (laughs) on the track on with me and just like you know just kill me like like you know there's levels to this shit i could you know throw it into different gears when i have to most definitely Um, so (laughs) a lot of it is ego driven this this was kind of ego driven in that sense like let me just remind y'all of what i could do
1: yeah exactly man yeah man thank you for sharing that with us um it's uh, i love to hear the the whole process behind these projects and also like um you trying out new things as well you know and um you know, with that being said, man, you know you make underground hip hop music that um, all of us, you know, personally that listen to this show love. Um, and I wanted to kind of ask you, you know, like, what advice do you have for young artists and musicians that uh, want to get into the music industry and um, you know, kind of make you know, like this underground, you know, kind of music that is or unconventional sounding hip hop.
0: Just be true to yourself. I'll say first and foremost, um, learn the business side of things, because now it's like, you have to be your own manager, you have to be responsible for putting out the music, you have to, if you're really trying to make this a career, um, learn the business side of things, because there's a lot of information out there that you need to learn to not be taken advantage of, to be on top of, like, your paperwork, um, realistically, to be on top of taxes, you have to... And it's not even, I don't even think it's just even, like, musicians. I think now, in general, we're becoming all individually our own brands in whatever industry we're in. So you have to kind of be a business person, businessman or woman, business person, um, in order to, to navigate this world now, you know? Because if you're trying to um, capitalize off it, you need to learn that. Um From I guess making unconventional music, yo, just listen to everything. Be influenced by all types of music. Don't just listen to one thing. Mm -hmm. Um know who you're listening to. Um like dive deep into it. Become like almost obsessed with it. Get on get on your Kobe shit, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) Where you're like obsessed and like nerdy about it, you know what I'm saying? Um yeah, cause like I, I'm, I still consider myself a student. I'm not out here. I'm not out here like fucking knowing every hip hop album that's ever been released. You know, even like some of my favorite artists, I haven't heard all, their entire discography. But, mm-hmm. And even if I have, you know, I still go back and try to like see like what were you doing here? You know, cause you you view things differently at different points in your life. You hear different things as you grow. Yeah. Um, even, like, sometimes I don't even fuck with hip-hop, you know, I'll go listen to some other music, like some of the music that my parents grew up on. Mm-hmm. Um, like, for a more recent project, I was listening to, like, a lot of Celia Cruz, uh, try to see how she was communicating certain things through her music, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like, a lot of people don't know, I think she was practicing Yoruba, which is, like, a I think originally, like in West African, like, uh, spirituality, but now it's practiced in the Caribbean because of, you know, like the, the slave trade. Um, so she was talking about a lot of that in her music, but I don't think people were realizing it. So I just, me personally trying to get, trying to learn how she was communicating it and how I can do that through hip hop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um. So yeah, listen to other genres of music outside of hip hop. Sometimes I don't even listen to music. Sometimes I get influenced by uh, listening to those actors round table joints. Mm. Just seeing other people in different crafts talk about their craft. You know, sit back and smoke a joint and watch Bob Ross do his thing. You know, there what you saying? go. <laughs> do that type of shit. You know, because he's gonna walk you through it. You know, and you learn different things and you can also apply that to what you do because everything's interconnected on some level creativity starts you know with a thought an idea and then you try to manifest it into reality and that's how everything in this world like the, the phones that we're speaking through they were an idea and a thought at first mm-hmm. and you know somebody just built on that they created the telephone. Then somebody knew the telephone existed, and they built on that blueprint. So, just go back and see where everything started, and then um, try to see how you can do something more modern. But but essentially, just just be true to yourself, and uh, you know, be real. Keep it keep it as real as possible with yourself. And then other people will see
1: that. 100%, man. Thank you for sharing that with us. So with that being said, you know, tell us what you can about, uh, any upcoming projects and endeavors you got lined up for 2023, you know, what does the immediate future hold for, uh, SK Winter Yacht?
0: Um, I'm trying to work on this project that's, like, a little different. Um, it's probably more light, um... There's no name for it yet. I want to try to come out with it by the summertime. There is a song that's already out that's kind of giving you an idea of where it's heading. Um, the song is called Bixabel um, it tra- It's Yucatec Maya, and it translates to how are, how are your journeys. Mm-hmm. Um, Bichabel translates to how is your journey. It's, it's a greeting in Yucatec Maya, um, so in the Yucatec area of Mexico that if you go out and say like bishabel it's kind of like you're saying what's up mm-hmm. but the literal translation is how is your journey which i think is pretty dope
1: that is dope
0: um, so the song is called bishabel it came out like last year i put it out last year but i'm gonna have it on this upcoming project and i think and i'm definitely moving in that direction sound wise so it's gonna be a little different it's not boom bap East Coast-ish, it's not grimy at all it's not like on some Griselda type beats either, or Alchemist uh, so it's it's definitely going to be a little different, going to have like, I guess a little house influence, a little more mainstream sounding, I guess mm. um, maybe pop sounding, um, so it's definitely going to be different for me um, but that's, that's something I'm working on, and uh, yeah, just uh, I think a homie um, that I worked with a few years ago he invited me to the studio next week so I don't know what's going to come out out of that so uh, we'll see about that and yeah I'm down and open for collaborations um, I'm always working with like Rojo on some level he's a dope producer from I believe Colorado Um, uh, so hopefully maybe by the end of the year I'll have something with him Um, he already like I'm putting the finishing touches on a song that he sent me. Uh, so that's always going to be, you know, politically uh, geared. So, yeah, I'm going to just keep rapping till the wheels fall off, you know what I'm saying?
1: <laughs> no doubt, man. We're looking forward to it. We're looking forward to hearing lots of new music in 2023. Um, if, if you had one message to give to your fans, man, what would it be?
0: Um, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know how many fans I got, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. To me, they're more like, you know, friends and family and shit like that. Um, what I gave message, um, damn, that's actually <laughs> a hard question. Like, yo, just keep doing you, bro. Like, keep your head up, keep doing you. Um, y'all, you know, stay on your shit, keep grinding, and, um, yeah. It's, it's, uh, just uh keep moving forward. Nice. The journey is uh an amazing one.
1: No doubt, man. Where can people find and follow you online to see all of your work and get all the latest updates for you know new music, shows, promotions, or any other events that you might have coming up?
0: Um, I'm mostly on Instagram, so you can find me SK Winter NYC. Um, sometimes you'll find me on Twitter with, under the same handle um, I believe I'm trying to get my the, the YouTube page um, flooded with content now um, and I believe I'm under SK Winter NYC as well so you'll find me under there I'm not really uh, act too active on TikTok but uh, I think I'll also be under that same handle
1: no doubt man you know but, so yeah, with IG <laughs> So with that said, you know, do you got any closing comments or anything else you might want to let our listeners know about yourself or any upcoming music or just some closing words of wisdom?
0: Just uh, meditate as much as you can. <laughs> um, it's cool to decompress and um, find find something that, you know, makes you happy. Uh, whatever you did as a child, maybe. And do that. You know what I'm saying? And you can also do that and do your job on the side. Like, the, the job that pays the bills on the side as well. You know what I'm saying? You don't have to choose one or the other. You can do both. It's possible.
1: No doubt. Words to live by. Well, that's it. SK Winter Yacht, thank you again for coming on the show. We appreciate you, brother. Thank you, you for brother. Me. Uh, Internet's SK Winter Yacht. He's got a brand new EP. The fuck is you talking about? It's out right now. <laughs> And with that said, we out. Peace. Peace. Well, Internets, that's our show. Once again, big shout-out to SK Winter Yap for coming on the program. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you stream and listen to the show. We're going to close out the show with a cut from SK's latest EP. It's called Zaza, featured on The Fuck Is You Talking About, out now wherever you stream and listen to your music. And with that said, we out, Internets.
3: Peace. I can't quit this life I chose the rock rock pose the side side close the da da the nose, the beat boy pose Drip, slick brick rings with the rose 80 shit part with no baby shit They was moving powder with no baby shit That's that power with no baby shit Put some respect on the name As to the game. Moving like chalk, I'm making it rain If that line went over your brain Let me introduce you to the Mr. Mystery main I'm the missing remain of little history main Got them say Am i might a little sick, sick in the brain Switching up to apocalypse, I hit them up and rock the shit Like guitars, I'm knocking shit Like a Masha Masha pit Uh-oh, there he those scary flows, those woes, woes. Not for nothing, G. I just be having fun with this shit at this point. You know what I mean? I, I'm I'm in the OG status right now. You feel me? I'm I'm at that point in my life. But I gotta keep it, I gotta keep it gully. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I can't stop doing this rap shit, and you can't stand toe to toe For real. How dare we show the repertoire Set the bar higher than be real Like a level car it's like be real I've been spitting metaphors in the metaphors, of metaphors but you never metaphors Or such similes and simulations You feel me no penetration My words are official Insemination uh, This the kid you've been waiting for Like an NFT you've been paying for Blockchain rappers get the chain snatched on the block Faster than your crypto transactors and no gasser Water power whips why the fuck would you gasser If she ain't riding like more, uh, then why the fuck would you have her? Uh? Here I go again, I'm dope with solar flowing gems Waters running deep filled with golden and diamonds in a pen My life is shining friend, Grinded by the ramen that I present Gifted by the vision, my tripped encrypted in my prism On elder the wisdom time steers Feel me? Yo, peace to all the elders. Peace to all my natives, Peace to all the hip hop heads. You no, know I can't quit this. You know I can't quit this. I can't quit this. I've come to that conclusion. Yo, I'ma do this shit Can't put quit to this. Death. Can't quit this. Life I chose to rah rah, Fold the zai Close the dot da, da. Nose the beat boy. Pose the beat boy. Froze trip, Slick break rings with the rose. 80 shit. 86. This that eighty shit, eighty six. This that eighty shit, eighty six. This that eighty shit, goings, goings, goings. Bro, I think you forgot the O's.
2: <laughs>
1: this episode of Step Off Radio is recorded at the Justice Center, San Diego and our music was done by DJ Root. This has been a Step Off Magazine production.